Hello and welcome. My name is Raj Basord and I'm a consultant psychiatrist based in London in private practice. And today we're going to be talking about tasers and tasering. And to that effect, we're joined by Adam Smith and Matthew Fox, who are both police officers in the Firearms Command. And also in the room, but who won't be taking part in the interview, is Inspector Philip Moore, who's in charge of the Firearms and Taser Unit, Public Engagement Unit. Um, I said that the inspector, Philip uh, Moore, is in the room, a bit like uh, we were conducting a proper police interview, uh, where you have to say who else is in the room. But I won't be cautioning Adam and Matthew before we begin talking to them. So let me start by asking the first question, which is, um, who carries tasers? Uh, hi, good morning. Um, uh, in, the, uh, in, the, in the Met Police in London, um, it's split between uh, firearms officers, armed firearms officers, and unarmed um, officers both carry taser. Now with the armed officers it's split amongst seven different uh, commands uh, ranging from uh, overt officers, covert officers and everyone that carries a gun who's qualified to carry a gun in London must be trained in a less lethal option and that's the taser. Uh, for the unarmed officers they're called um, STU, specially trained units or locally known as specially trained officers and these are um, normal uniform uh, borough officers and there's um, a set number that are trained that patrol with that. So there's an interesting distinction between the fat firearms officers when they're deployed, they're often a large group are deployed so they have a kind of support of each other um, but these other officers who aren't firearms officers who are carrying tasers are often out by themselves, patrolling by themselves. It's a very different, more precarious situation for them. Yes, absolutely right. Yeah, the, um, the, uh, the, the, threat, uh, the threat against normal uniform officers because just due to the sheer numbers, are uh, can be um, at times uh, trickier than the armed officers. Albeit they, the armed officers will go up against um, uh, threats from um, from subjects that are carrying firearms uh, and knives. But there is safety in numbers and there's safety in equipment. But um, the the uniform officers on borough they are at risk, and that reflects in the uh, in the the levels of assault on police. So these levels of assault are coming down, and you, and one of your arguments, I think, from your unit is that the deployment of tasers has made a big difference. Absolutely, yeah. The um, uh, I mean, over since two thousand and three, um, armed officers have had tasers across the UK. Uh, two thousand and seven, there was uh, a national trial uh, to see if we could have it with unarmed officers, the STU officers. Um, and in 2008, it was rolled out nation, uh, nationwide across the UK that unarmed officers could carry tasers. Now, from then, there's been um, a, a slow reduction um, to start with and then quite a dramatic fall in assault on police. And that's due to the presence of this device being there and also uh, the, the public being educated into what this device can actually do. But it's not just about the fact the taser itself is deployed. There's some, some interesting stuff about what counts as a deployment. There's something about just wielding a taser or presenting it to someone who's in, in being, being threatening that seems to make a big difference. That's absolutely right. Um, what we've noticed is that a deployment of taser could be a number of things. It could be just simply drawing it from your holster, okay, will be classed as a deployment of taser. We can also do something we call red dots, where we turn the taser on and we'll point a red dot at the subject, okay? And more often than not, those two things alone, those two deployments alone, are enough to de-escalate a situation. So we might be confronted by someone who's posing a threat to us, whether they're armed with a knife, or just or being very violent towards us, and simply by removing the taser from the holster, or, as I said, red dotting, would de-escalate that situation straight away. 
Um, what actually is a taser? A taser is a conducted energy device. Uh, it delivers a uh, current through a person's body, okay? And that current passing through the body causes what we call neuromuscular incapacitation. So it interferes with the, the messages being sent from the brain to the person's muscles, okay? And that causes what we call a pliant state. So it, it means that the person hasn't got control over the muscles of their body. That means that they can't use the knife that they might be carrying, or they can't cause physical injury to the officer that they're posing a threat to. It allows us enough time to go maybe take the knife off the person or to secure that person from causing us harm or themselves harm. They're fully conscious throughout though? This. They are conscious throughout, they can still see and they can still hear. So we will give them message throughout the deployment of taser and explain to them exactly what is happening. Okay, the deployment of taser will last for five seconds. However, we can stop that mid-cycle okay, if that threat has gone away. What happens after a taser has been deployed? Particularly what happens to the person who's been tasered? Okay, obviously we, we go straight into a duty of care. Okay, as soon as we deploy a taser, we have a duty of care for that person. Okay, so we will we will straight away look to see if there's any medical complications. If, we, if they're showing signs of medical complications, we will of course get immediate medical treatment. Okay, but in terms of the probes that are deployed, they will sort of sort of go into the person's body. We will look to get those removed. Okay, often they will just fall out. If they don't fall out, we are actually trained to remove them unless they're in specific parts of the body, like the face, the head. Or the genitalia area, we won't remove them, they'll get immediate medical assistance. So Matthew, um, what you're kind of saying is that everyone who gets tasered ends up seeing a doctor sooner or later? Absolutely. Obviously, if they show signs of medical problems or they've had a history of medical problems, or as I said, they go into a particular part of the body, they will be taken to hospital, okay? Or if we can't remove the barbs, they will go to hospital. If they show none of those signs and they go to a custody suite because they've been arrested for the offence for which they, they, they've shown to us, they will be seen by a forensic medical examiner anyway part of the course. So at some point, uh, very, very, very early on, they will be seen by a medical expert. Um, historically, I thought it was the case that the thing that was used uh, before tasers came along was this thing called CS spray. So could you tell me a bit about that and what's the advantage of tasering over CS spray? Um, CS spray still um, is still in circulation with, uh, with police forces. There's, there's other variants of it, which is um, called CAPTA as well, which is like a chili spray. Uh, but the Metropolitan Police still use CS spray in relation to it. Um, so it's still there and still available for officers. Um, the, the limitations with CS are if, um, if you're in confined spaces, then the officer that's using it can be over, overcome by the, uh, the effects of CS. And therefore, you've got um, issues with uh, weapon retention, officer safety, that kind of thing. Uh, and especially if, um, if it confined space in relation to tube platforms. If you spray CS in a tube platform with all the, um, the ventilation, then it can spread. So actually you'll get secondary effects of people and passengers there, which you don't really want. So um, <clears throat> they're used in, um, in isolation as well because CS is held, in a, um, is, is held in a solution which can be inflammable if exposed to taser. So the training is um, uh, that you don't CS anybody beforehand if you need to deploy a taser. To, to, for the, that's the control measures to keep people safe and then you can control the scene correctly. There's a, there's a set protocol about the deployment of the taser and there are things that the officer shouts or says at the time, is that right? Yes, it's, it's advisable. We will always try and give a warning, if possible, that we're armed with taser and that we will deploy it. There are obviously circumstances when that's not possible or it could cause a risk to the officer or someone else. But if we can, we will always give a verbal warning, an oral warning, that we are armed with taser and we will intend to use it. Tell me a bit more about that verbal warning. 
The taser that we carry is bright yellow, so more often than not the person can see it, okay, and it's yellow for that reason. So it was quite obvious that we were armed with a taser. We will then back that up with a verbal shout of taser officer, and then we will obviously give a clear direction of what we want them to do. Normally it's put the knife down, put the gun down, or whatever that might be. It will be a clear direction to them, and then we'll give them an opportunity so that I adhere to what we've asked them to do. Can you tell me a bit more about what's actually happening in terms of electricity? So, so because there's some quite frightening numbers mentioned in terms of the amount of volts involved in these devices. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, this device is um, is fifty thousand volts um, and has very very low um, amps or amperes. Uh, the 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 voltage is just the pressure, the power that it it, it forces the electricity along. So, to give you an example. Um, static electricity, when you rub your feet on the carpet, will go up to anything to up to 30,000 volts of electricity. But we've all had static ele- static shocks. It gives you a shock, it jumps, and especially when, sometimes when you see it, uh, you can see a spark coming off your finger. It's, it's, that, it's the voltage that pushes that electricity through. But the amps are very low, so we don't get injured by, um, you know, by, by the static electricity. But this device is, is powered by two, three volt batteries. That's it in the device. So it's the it's the it's the power, the fifty thousand volts that makes the electricity jump, and therefore gives it the power to make the circuit. But the amps are through the current is very very low, and it equates to 0.021 of an ampere. So it's really really negligible. So much so that after, um, as as it's been explained about the the current that goes through somebody, either a five second or an extended trigger squeeze or an interrupted um, exposure, as soon as, the, as soon as the power's turned off, the, the, um, the subject will, uh, will recover instantly. So there's no lasting effects from it. But, but Adam, you're being very reassuring about the um, electricity involved, but I saw um, some quite harrowing video of you being tasered as part of your training, um, and that didn't look very pleasant. What was it like for you? No, it really, it's not, it really isn't pleasant, I can assure you. Um, it's um, the pain. Um, I can't really describe it apart from it. It really hurt. It really did hurt. This this device um, because there's a, a there's a, a pulse regulator inside it. It it fires a shaped pulse 19 times a second. Um, and if you can imagine 19 times a second for five seconds. So what happens is because it's because it's because it's pulsing so quickly, your muscles will go into a, like a pliable state, but you can't move them. But the thing is, officers can. So if you've got um, a, a particularly violent subject who's fighting you and you t- deploy the taser on them and it's, it's achieved, as we mentioned before, NMI, neuromuscular incapacitation, this individual won't be able to move for themselves, but we can move their arms for them. That doesn't lock it so much that they can't move like cramp. It means that they're pulsing so quickly they can't move themselves. So if we had a violent subject and every time the taser was turned off they wanted to fight again, we can do what's called cuffing under power or retention under power, which basically means during the five second cycle, officers can move forward to the subject, clear any weapons that they have, and then grab their arms and then safely put them in handcuffs without without this individual actually hurting the officers or themselves in relation to it. Uh, Matthew, um, tell us a bit about incidents um, where tasers have been used. Um, I understand there was an incident you were involved in when you just finished your training. That's when, right. Which, which I, got involved I, in one. I finished my training. It's my second day as an armed response officer. And we got called to uh, a local pub. The landlord had called us to say there was two males, one male selling a firearm to another male. Um, two armed response vehicles were deployed to the scene and I was in one of them. As I got out, I clearly identified the male who had the firearm. 
and I got out of the car and because he was armed with a firearm, I felt the threat was so high, I deployed with my firearm. I pointed my firearm at him and I gave him clear instructions to show me his hands because obviously that's where the threat was. Um, the male didn't do as he was asked and he reached inside his pocket and he began to pull a firearm out his pocket. My threat level went very, very high then because I then thought, is he going to shoot me? Obviously, as Sergeant Smith uh, said at the beginning, we go in large numbers. So one of the other officers that deployed saw the same threat that I did, but he also saw the fact that I had deployed with a firearm and I was already pointing my, my firearm at this male. So he deployed with a taser, a less lethal option. Okay, and we will only, as firearms officers, we will only deploy a less lethal option behind firearms cover. That firearms cover was on, he deployed with his taser and he tasered this male. Um, this male then went into the plywood state. He was unable to move his limbs and we, we were able to handcuff him and secure the firearm. Had we not had taser there, had he drawn that firearm, there is a possibility I would, I would have shot that mouse. So in that respect, yeah, taser was a very, very good thing. But it's not just preventing uh, the deployment of, of weapons like, like guns. Mm. It, it's also seeming to have a big impact on people, the police being stabbed or assaulted. Yes, I mean, uh, more officers now are carrying taser, but especially trained units, the unarmed officers on the streets of London are carrying tasers. As a result, we're seeing a lot less injuries towards police officers, okay? Because Taser is yellow, people see it very early on, and it is a deterrent. People see Taser, and as Sergeant Smith alluded to, it is, it is quite painful. Nobody wants to get Tasered. So we're often coming against violent individuals who may be armed with a knife, who may not be, just be violent, okay? And as soon as they see the Taser, as soon as they see it drawn, they are immediately de-escalating their violence towards us, and it's enabling us to deal with them in a far more controlled manner. It's causing less injuries to the subject because we're not having to resort to our other options, which are maybe CS or ASP. But it's also creating less injuries for the officers having to deal with these individuals. And that can only be a good thing. The press are quite interested um, by um, tasers. And I thought I read a figure somewhere that the Met deployed the taser, or the figure that's quoted in the press, something like over 2,000 times that's correct. in the last year. But there's a dramatically different number for the actual number of times a taser was actually fired. That's right. Uh, and often the press will, just to, to create a good story, will tell the, uh, the, the people that last year the Met deployed taser over 2,000 times. Now, as I, I said at the beginning, there's lots of different ways in which the taser can be deployed. If I remove my taser from the holster, that alone is a deployment of taser. I haven't turned it on, I haven't pointed it. If there are two officers faced with the same threat and they both draw their taser, that goes down as two deployments of taser, yet neither one of them has actually fired it. Okay, now all officers, taser officers will go and at least pair yours and have two deployments. The number of times it was actually fired in London last year was, I believe it was 269 times. It was actually fired um, and used on a person. So you can see that the difference between 269 and over 2,000. But of course, that doesn't sell a good story. Now, after a taser has been deployed, in terms of police procedure, what happens next? Um, once, I mean, once it's fired, there's, um, it goes into post-procedure uh, post in relation to it. So there's immediate aftercare uh, to the individual it's been used upon. Um, if, as, as we just discussed, if, it's, if only the, the presence of the device uh, has subdued the individual, then there's, there's no need um, to... Uh, to give any medical care because it hasn't been deployed on them. But if it's fired in, if, it, if the device is fired, the air cartridge is on there and the probes stick into this person, then ultimately there needs to be um, immediate medical care. So straight away, before anything of that happens, the threat has to be dealt with. Because the whole reason that the taser is deployed onto somebody is because they're posing such a, a serious threat to the officers that there's going to be a severe likelihood of injury. So straight away the threat is, um, once the threat's disappeared and the, the individual is then handcuffed, um, or depending on the situation, they may not be handcuffed, um, but 
the threat has then has then vanished, then straight away into medical care. So um, if the if the probes are stuck in any any delicate areas, as mentioned before, they won't be taken out by us. But as we mentioned before, they'll be seen by a doctor as well uh, once they go back to the custody suite. But uh, but also for for post investigation, because this is this becomes evidence. Because when an individual is arrested, all this is part of the investigation. So the cartridge is um, is saved. The probes that have been taken out of the individual are saved. Um, inside the cartridge, there's tiny little discs called um, ID discs, which has a serial number on it. And that, when, when you fire it, they spray across the scene uh, to mark the scene where the taser's been uh, discharged. So all these things that have this evidential value and also this, um, this clear transparency in relation to when it's being used, and also, uh, so we're accountable for it, uh, and also so we can put the whole evidence together in relation to post-investigation inquiries. So what would you say, um, Adam and Matthew, are the biggest mistakes the public make about tasers in terms of their, when they hear about it? Is a mistake they think it's like much more dangerous than it really is, or they think the police are trigger-happy and are out there firing them away uh, at the drop of a hat? What, what, what's the biggest misunderstanding around taser usage, would you say? I've been to lots of community events and spoken to a lot of members of the community about taser. And there was, uh, there was a mistake that they were thinking that we were ta tasering far more people than we actually are. And that's when I talk, started talking about deployment to taser. Um, people were thinking that we were tasering a lot of people. And they, they take that 2,000 deployments and think that we have actually tasered 2,000 people or five a day, uh, as it was recently reported. We're not. That's a deployment. And when we start talking to members of the community about what a deployment is, okay, and then we look at alternatives as a firearms officer, it's the use of a firearm, or as an unarmed officer, it's the use of an ASP. And we start looking at the number of injuries to the subjects and injuries to, to the officers using it, confidence actually went up. Okay, people were more confident in the police use of taser because they were getting true facts. And I think that was that was very important. But as a psychiatrist, I'm concerned about the fact that when I hear about tasers being deployed, admittedly through the news media, so it's not entirely reliable, you often think there's something about that incident which makes me think there was someone with a mental illness involved. Do you think there's a, 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 a there's a sense in which often they're going to be deployed? because someone isn't responding to commands or instructions and therefore there is somehow a link with it with their use and people with severe mental illnesses? Uh, first of all, we'll never use taser as a tool of compliance, uh, as Sergeant Smith said at the beginning. Uh, we will only use it if there's a threat posed to us. We will always use the national decision-making model when we're looking at any threats. So we'll assess the information, we'll do a risk assessment, we'll look at our powers and policies and then we'll decide on the tactical option. That tactical option may be an ASP, it may be talking to the person, it may be use the taser or a firearm. If information of a mental illness is, is evident to us and we're trained to look at behavioural aspects and the way people are acting towards us, if we suspect there is a mental illness, we will put that information into our decision-making process, but we still have to deal with that threat. Okay, And if that if someone has got mental illness but they're still posing a threat to us, we need to deal with that threat to protect them, to protect us and protect the members of the public. Adam, I want to go back to you and that video of you being tasered. Um, um, it looked pretty horrendous and I have to say that you, some people would say you handled it very stoically, other people would say you screamed the house down. Yeah, they, 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 have, uh, they so, have said I did scream quite a bit, but what, what was the more, biggest... more like a manly kind of scream. Mm. Opposed to, um, but, what was the biggest surprise to you about it? What did you learn from it having happened to you? That, that, you know, what what, what um, misapprehension did you have about what it was like the, to be tasered? One of the big things I learned is I don't want it again. Um, <laughs> We've had, I mean, you know, there's the pain 
it's a sensation, but it is it is quite painful because the muscles are contracting so quickly. Mm. As I said, 19 times a second, it does create pain. Not not like cramp, because cramp is really quite painful. But it's similar to cramp. Mm. Um, but because it's pulsing and it's mm. going so quickly, it doesn't feel like it's pulsing. It's just this constant, and the muscles tense, mm. and it 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 kind of, and, and the sensation builds very quickly. Mm-hmm. But as soon as as soon as the power is cut off then the pain, the sensation stops instantly. Mm-hmm. But it's like being, what they, what they say is being um, being tasered for five seconds is actually like doing a, a two-hour workout. Mm-hmm. So effectively, you know, if I, if I wanted to cut down time in the gym, perhaps I need to just kind of, you know, taser myself once a day and kind of you know, be, uh, be a lot easier. But extremely, extremely painful. It stops instantly. Um, and it has it has a, a psychological effect as well because you just don't want this thing again. Yeah, you really don't. I noticed that when they were doing it to you, you were actually on the ground already, mm-hmm. and they were you had special support around your head. Yeah. So isn't that one of the big problems that normally when you're tasering people out in the public street, they're standing up, so they fall to the ground and they might get injured. It's, mm-hmm. it's something that the officer will have to consider before deploying the taser, putting the trigger. They will have to look at their surroundings. Okay, and obviously if they're if they're near a, a main road with moving vehicles, you're going to have to put that into your decision-making model and maybe taser isn't the right option there. Okay, but it's we will always look at the surroundings and consider them. Okay, but often they will fall over and as I said, we will be sure on hands to deliver immediate aftercare. Matthew Fox, Adam Smith, thank you both very much indeed. Thank you. Thanks very much. Thank you.